Welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that gives unrivaled news, views and abuse on the biggest stories in football. I'm Henrik Mkhitaryan. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm Henry McRae. And as always, I'm joined by podcast regulars Ian McGarry and Duncan Castles. We've got loads to talk about as Arsenal move for Aubameyang, there's Liverpool and Pulisic, and of course Chelsea and Andy Carroll. But first, the story dominating the headlines is the proposed swap deal taking Alexis Sanchez from Arsenal to Manchester United with my Armenian namesake moving in the opposite direction. So Duncan, what's the latest? Well, Manchester United think they have are confident they have agreement with the player on salary, which will be substantial, but not as substantial as has been reported um, this morning. Um, they are waiting to see if Henrik Mkhitaryan will become part of that deal. Mkhitaryan's still with Manchester United today. Um, Arsene Wenger's made it clear that he wants Mkhitaryan if they can uh, come to agreement with his agent, Mino Raiola, on um, commissions and salaries. Um, Wenger's interestingly declared that wages won't be a problem, which um, which I'd be surprised if it does end up not being a problem, given that Raiola has made it clear that he will he wants um, Arsenal to pay his client the same amount of money they were prepared to pay Alexis Sanchez to stay, which had been the, the biggest um, uh, salary package they'd ever given a player. Um, so it's, it's still to be finished, but Manchester United are confident they've got everyone else out of the way. Um, the player definitely wants to come to United. He wants out of Arsenal as quickly as possible. So uh, Manchester United should have a solution to sort of two problem areas um, in Mourinho's squad, which has been backup striker uh, to Romelu Lukaku and uh, a guy who can comfortably play on the touchline and operate as a winger, which is sort of Sanchez's natural position before he moved to Arsenal and was converted into uh, the striker basically because of lack of options within that squad. I mean, but I suspect um, heavily, Henry, that um, one of the things which is delaying this deal from being completed is um, the amount of money which uh, Mino Raiola wants Manchester United to pay to him and his client uh, for leaving because he's got three and a half years left in his contract. Um, he has not asked for a transfer. He's been thrust into this deal as a, a make-weight, if you like, uh, in terms of the cash value of Alexis Sanchez. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that Mkhitaryan knows his Manchester United career is, is all but over and therefore uh, going out a fresh start at Arsenal um, where they do love a diminutive Eastern European attacking midfielder um, uh, historically is attractive to him. But um, Mino, um, you got to give it to him. He, he gets very good deals for his clients. I, I think you know a lot of people um, in your neck of the woods, Henry, would describe him as a chancer when it comes to saying things like, uh, I want you to pay uh, uh, and the wages that you were prepared to pay Sanchez to stay, because clearly the two are not the same calibre of player, and certainly not in current form they are. So uh, this negotiation is being held up by effectively one man, and that is Mina Raiola, because on Manchester United's side, he's looking for a payoff, and on the Arsenal side, he's looking for more wages and commission than they're prepared to pay. So um, once Mino sorts out, which I believe it will be done in the next 24, 36 hours, because there is a, a will on all sides, all parties, to get it done, um, it will be because Mino has accepted uh, some kind of compromise with regards to his commission and with regards to the salary demands of the player stroke, uh, the payment for the player to leave. Sanchez, of course, was expected to sign for Manchester City. And up until last week, it was really seen as a case of when rather than if he made the move. So what exactly happened to turn this whole story on its head? Can you can you give us some background into how the whole thing unfolded? I think, that, I think there's a couple of interesting elements. We've just been talking about Mino Raiola. And um, the first news that Manchester United uh, were trying to negotiate a deal for Alexis Sanchez came from Italy. And it came from a journalist who Mino Raiola is quite close to. And the suspicion there would be that it was in Raiola's interest to have that story active uh, because he was seeing down the line that Mkhitaryan would be part of the deal, which was mentioned in the original story. 
and that there was um, a payday for his client and himself um, to be involved in in accepting that move. We all know that swap deals or, or part exchange deals in football are complicated because you're not just dealing with the two clubs, you're also dealing with two sets of agents and two sets of players and having to satisfy all, all parties in them. In terms of how Manchester United got themselves in a position where they could get the player ahead of Manchester City, who had Sanchez in the summer and were expecting to have him in January. Um, basically, United were prepared to uh, match the financial terms that Sanchez's agent requested uh, to do the deal in January. And the calculation was quite simple there. He said to Manchester City, this deal in the summer, you were prepared to pay, put 55 million down to Arsenal, 60 million total on the transfer fee, pay my commission, pay a signing on fee to my client and pay this amount of salary. And the total cost of that deal would be around 125 million pounds to you over the course of the contract. Arsenal have now reduced the pie price to 35 million. That's 25 million off um, what you were going to pay in the summer. We'll keep the total value of the deal the same. That extra 25 million comes to me and my client. And Manchester City were not prepared to pay that. Now, there's sound reasoning on Manchester City's part. Although the cost of the deal remains the same and you should, you should in principle, you should stay with the player you want, there's been changes in the way that Aguero and the, and the goal production of the, the team at City. So Guardiola is obviously more comfortable about getting goals from guys like Sterling, who was was a player he was uncertain of and looking at Sanchez as a, as a replacement in the starting line for. Um, now, which he didn't have before. And also, um, they have a situation where Sterling and Kevin De Bruyne are about to be given new contracts and substantially improved contracts. If they bring Alexis Sanchez on, on a deal which is, it would have worked out to about £100,000 a week more, giving him that extra 25 million into his salary over four years. Then they have De Bruyne, Sterling and other players in their team saying, well, the differential to the top paid player in the club and my salary is much bigger now than it was uh, two weeks ago. So when you're renegotiating my salary, I want to be up at that level too. So I don't think it was so much that the deal itself was too expensive for City. It was the ramifications of the deal for the rest of the squad were too expensive for City to take on. And I think Ian's got some information also about um, Guardiola changing his opinion on Sanchez, uh, yeah, I having think... discussed what happened with United. I, I, I don't, uh, pardon the pun, buy into this notion that the deal was too expensive for Manchester City. They are probably the most financially... Um, wealthy in terms of transfer uh, potential in, in the world and so I, I, I don't believe that this was purely a financial uh, decision not to pursue Sanchez uh, two things have changed since last summer uh, and I'm not talking about the demands of uh, Alexis Sanchez and his agent first of all um, Graham Hunter on the transfer window described Alexis Sanchez move to Manchester City in August of last year as a title-winning signing. Since that time, Manchester City have established a 12-point gap at the top of the Premier League without Alexis Sanchez. So I agree with Duncan that um, Pep Guardiola has had a look around his team, sees he's getting goals um, in with regularity um, from places where he wouldn't have expected, and most of all, Ryan Sterling, who's top goal scorer on the team. Um, and thinks to himself, mm, okay, well, Sanchez was coming in to bring goals and creativity, but actually I've got all those things in, in, in the team uh, already, so where does he fit? And the other thing that's changed is Guardiola's attitude towards Sanchez himself, and I'm not talking about Sanchez the player, I'm talking about Sanchez the person. He firmly believed that they had a deal, it, they'd shaken hands on it, um, that deal um, was the same as the one they had agreed in the summer, and then all of a sudden, Sanchez and his representative comes back, come back and say, no, we want 25% more on the salary, plus we want the signing on fee, plus we want this and we want that. Guardiola looks at that and thinks, well, hang on. Uh, I have established and worked hard to establish a team spirit, team ethic uh, in this club, which 
has been the basis of the momentum which has carried into the top of the Premier League and into the knockout stages of the Champions League, etc., etc. Do I want to risk disrupting that by bringing someone into the dressing room who, as Duncan rightly said, would be the highest paid player? Other players then look at that and think, well, I should be that guy, not him. I, after all, I've, I'm the one who's you know worked my uh, socks off to get us into this position, this great position of winning the Premier League where we are. Sanchez is coming in as a luxury signing, someone who's going to augment ra- rather than uh, change the, the, uh, the way that Manchester City play. So Manchester City are no longer desperate for Alexis Sanchez because they have an established um, squad of players and certain established first eleven who are performing out of their skin and brilliantly. Um, therefore, why would you bring in someone who would then decrease potentially the motivational aspect of players who have achieved and will continue to achieve? And I think Guardiola, you know, for all his um, being criticised as, uh, you know, being some of, of, of a kind of philosopher of football or an artist that he's often described as, he, he can also be quite pragmatic and, and say, do you know what? No, I'm not going to have this. I'm not going to be held to ransom. And also, I, I think that the impact that Sanchez may have if he signs for us now would be more negative than positive. And therefore, we will allow him not just not to come to Manchester City, but to go to the, city, the deadly city rivals, Manchester United. Now, you've got to say, if this was just about money, then they wouldn't allow that to happen. So something else is going on here. And I, and I do believe that you know it's got to do with uh, Sanchez's attitude and Manchester City's changed circumstances with regards to the current team they have. OK, Duncan, it's, uh, you've been um, speaking about this for a few weeks now, um, but, you know, it's Mourinho's had uh, a number of targets for um, positions to fill in his team and in his squad. You said he was looking for a fullback. You said he was looking for a centre midfielder. And you said he was looking for a wide man. So uh, can we take it that this will be a big green tick on the wide man position being filled if uh, all goes ahead? And what happens next? Yeah, look, those three were the ones he, were, he, he was looking for in this window. And then additionally, looking for a striker. He knew he had to get a striker in in the summer because Ibrahimovic would um, would not stay on. Um, in fact, they, they think Ibrahimovic might leave during the, the current season because of the, the main interest in him is in uh, America and China and their seasons start in March. So now he, well, assuming Sanchez goes through, he now has a player who can be the backup or be the alternative to Romelu Lukaku at, at centre-forward. Um, and he can allow Ibrahimovic to leave, which would take money off the, off the wage bill. But also, he's got a player who can naturally play on the wing, um, spent most of his career playing on the wing. And, and he's, he's very much... This is kind of another element in the Guardiola story. Um, Sanchez has played for Guardiola before. He, was, he had a whole season with him uh, at Guardiola's last season at Barcelona. And the problem... Guardiola had with him there was he's too much of an instinctive player and he, he really struggled it to fit into the, the sort of complex um, passing and uh, deliberate positioning of, of forward players that Guardiola likes to set up in his team and where the, the team is more important than most of the individuals. He played 20 Liga games for um, for Guardiola in that season and he was substituted off 14 times. So kind of the, there was always a little strange element in this desire, supposed desire that he wanted to play for Guardiola again, and that was the, the perfect match. Um, on the other hand, I think he fits Mourinho's uh, style of uh, attacking player much better. Mourinho likes players who have that individuality um, of play among, in themselves, uh, the sort of instinctive get the ball and do something unpredictable to beat opponents and create chances that way. He likes, he's always liked wingers with um, a physicality and pace and drive. So he, he, he is better suited to that system. And it, yes, it definitely ticks one of the boxes. Well, it ticks two boxes because he's got a backup striker and he's got a winger. So now I would expect them potentially to go for an additional winger, um, a left-footed winger. Um, he's definitely still looking for a central midfielder, definitely still in the market for a left-back. Um, and whether any more of those will happen in January, I'm not so sure. 
because it, it requires uh, the club to commit significant cash to one of those deals and more importantly to find the right player. If I was to um, say which one I thought was more likely to happen in January, which one he's, he's still working on, it's definitely the central midfielder for the reasons we discussed last week on the podcast. Which of course, Duncan, brings us to round two of Manchester United versus Manchester City competing for the same player uh, because last uh, week Duncan revealed Manchester United's interest in Fred, the Brazil central midfielder at current Shakhtar Donetsk, um, and the possibility of sending him in this window, which uh, I think we said would cost upwards of £40 million. And uh, we know now that uh, on Monday of this week, Manchester City made an official approach to Shakhtar about the same player. Um, because, obviously, um, Pep Guardiola is looking for long-term replacement for Yaya Turi, who is out of contract this summer. Um, I think as well uh, the uh, situation that he has in terms of his central midfield options playing uh, with two, a double pivot there. Fernandinho clearly is first choice, but other than that, there is a, a, a rotating list of players who have been playing there. David Silva's played back there, but usually goes more forward. Fred at 24 would be a perfect uh, foil in there with Fernandinho. And I think that uh, it may just be the case that City have turned interest away from Sanchez because, as we said, he may not be as essential to them as he was last summer. And instead, are looking to Fred either in this window or indeed to agree deal to sign him in the summer. It looks like... Yeah. Uh, sorry, go on, you go, Duncan. Yeah, it, uh, Manchester United have, have also been exploring a deal for Fred and uh, they're, let's just say, they're well aware of the Manchester City's strong interest and um, it looks at present like Manchester City are going to beat them to that deal. I was just listening to Mourinho after the uh, uh, his quotes after the, the, the match this week when he was um, talking about the possibility of Sanchez uh, arriving his focus definitely seemed to be on next season. Um, you know, and if if the gap at the top of the league is shrunk this this season, then great. But you know, he's he's preparing to be, um, you know, a better side and mount a, a stronger challenge next season. By the sound of things, now um, does that mean the folk that you know the desire and need for a central midfielder or to fill one of these other gaps in January diminishes? Um, or do you think it, he'd rather get them on board now so that they can hit the ground running this summer? I think he's talked about it in recent weeks. It's, um, he doesn't like doing deals in January. It's not, it's not a good time to bring players in because you're, you're bumping them straight into the toughest part of the season. In Mourinho's training methodology, um, the pre-season is very important for getting players to understand the way his teams work. So you're asking a player to come in without proper training sessions because at this point in the season, they've just gone to Dubai and they've had a week because they were out of the League Cup. And you've, you've seen Mourinho talking so positively about that because he actually had the chance to do a lot of tactical uh, work with the team for the first time for weeks. And that usually you don't have that and you probably won't have it again through the rest of the season. So he, he doesn't like January deals. This January has been unusual in, in that most of the Premier League clubs are, have been prepared to do big deals. And, and I think he, he's being very honest in what he said, is that if an exceptional opportunity comes along, we'll take it. And I, and I think that's simply a response to a much harder market than it's been for clubs like Manchester United in past years. Previously, if you go back five years, Manchester United were probably only keep competing with a couple of clubs for their key targets because they... they they knew the players were only likely to come to them and they had the financial wherewithal to beat almost all of the other rivals for those players. Now, teams like Liverpool are throwing huge sums of money down for January buys. So if you want that player, you, you might need to do the deal when, when it's available, as, the, as they're trying to do with Alexis Sanchez. In terms of his long-term plan, he, he's always come into the club saying and thinking this is going to take three proper windows to resolve the, to fix the squad because the squad was so poor and so far off what Manchester United needed when he came there. So he's been planning, I 
interview, I, we, we talked quite a lot about transfer market planning when I interviewed him in September, and he, and he, and he very specifically said, you know, I've, I'm two windows in now. I'm talking got, summer windows, yes. A long, yeah, two, because he, he ignored the last January window. I've, I've two summer windows in now. I'm thinking of the third summer window to get everything to where I'd like it to be to be properly competitive for the Champions League. That's not to say I'm not trying now. I'm not trying. In both of those seasons, he's come in saying, I want to win the league. He doesn't go into any competition without, without trying to win, to win it. But realistically, in his head, he's thinking, yeah, it's going to be hard to win the Premier League and it's going to be very hard to win the Champions League with what I've got. I can't, the club isn't going to let me buy the whole set of players in the first window. And, and it's probably not practical to do that because you're changing too many players at one time. Also with the condition of you've got to get players out to let those players in. So, yeah, he's, he, he's looking to next summer. And, and I think you're right to identify what he said last week has been really interesting. The idea that you get the team on a good course um, try and win every match, get as close to Manchester City as possible, see what happens, and have a belief going into next season off the back of your performances in the second half of this season, which helps you challenge for the title next and, season. And, and that sounds like he's planning for a future, and you know his own future has been uh, questioned recently. But the latest news seems to be that there's a, a almost an agreement in place, and you, uh, you you've got some insight into that, don't you? Yeah, like the discussions have been going on between um, Mourinho's agent, George Mendes, and Manchester United for some months. But those discussions had stalled um, when uh, the results started to go wrong. So I think they were quite close to an agreement before the Manchester City match. And then that, there was then doubt in the camp as to whether Manchester United would go ahead and um, fully agree the deal. The information I have now is that there is full agreement between uh, Jesse Footy and Manchester United on the terms of a new contract for Mourinho. The contract's not signed yet, but Manchester United expect that to be signed. So we should see an announcement on a new deal for Mourinho um, before too long. I think it's important to, to point out, Henry, um, to all our lis listeners, that rule of thumb for the top four, top six clubs for, for January window, generally speaking, is... Uh, you do not recruit in January unless you have an injury in a key position in your team and that injury is serious enough for you to need to recruit a, a, a high-quality replacement. Um, or an opportunity to buy a player has come up which is too good to turn down. And I think Sanchez comes into this category, obviously, and therefore you move in January because you might not have the opportunity to sign that player six months later. But historically, uh, your huge sums... Um, are not spent by the big clubs in the January and yeah, it seems to be changed as you know, as a change this year, it seems to be, you know, the bigger clubs are far more active. This is a as active well, a January well, window as we can well, really no, remember, isn't it? No, I think you've got circumstantial. I think uh, Virgil van Dijk's move to Liverpool was occasioned by their desperate need to fill a, a position that they failed to fill in the summer. I think Felipe Coutinho's move to Barcelona was simply the overflow of their courting him in the summer and the players' desperate desire to leave. Uh, and also Liverpool's willing to sell at a premium price of £149 million. Um, I think you'll find historically that this, the, the overall, the total sum spent in the January window, are mainly um, boosted by the club's lower down, spending money to either improve the league standing or mostly to try and stave off relegation. And that's when you get panic spending in January. Um, but I think if anyone... but, 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 but you know, as the you know desperation and the competitiveness at the bottom of the table increases, the top of the league is a lot more competitive than it used to be. You know, it used to be that. What was Manchester City twelve points clear? I mean, in terms of qualifying for the Champions League, there are more okay. teams going into the Champions League. There's four spaces, and it, you know, back in the day, you could almost pick those four teams before the start of the season, and you know, there are at least six now fiercely competing for those four places. Um, and, you know, you couldn't rule in any one other Manchester City at the moment. Um, sure. So is that increasing the need for the bigger clubs to flex their muscles in January as well? Um, I'm not sure if it's, if, it's, if it's necessarily increasing the need. As I said, I think um, 
here's here's a very good example of a club behaving in a very different way to the way it's behaved in recent years in this window, and that is Arsenal. Arsenal have almost never bought in January window, certainly not invested a lot of money, and yet here we have them um, pursuing Henrik Mkhitaryan, albeit as a lightweight for Manchester United. But even more bizarre is their pursuit of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang from Borussia Dortmund in this window for £53 million. To me, that stinks of desperation. I think Arsene Wenger currently stinks of desperation. He knows that if his Arsenal season continues to decline, then his tenure uh, for next season will effectively be untenable. He won't be able to continue for the second year of the contract extension he signed just last season. And I think it's the the one last throw of the dice for Wenger uh, would be Obama Yang. Because here's a guy who's been available for consecutively four transfer windows from Borussia Dortmund. And he's attracted interest, notes of interest, and by that I mean formal interest from Real Madrid, from Bayern Munich, from Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal, Manchester City. Have all been, because if you look at his stats, his goals per minute are very impressive. Problem is, as soon as they make a phone call and try and find out what kind of guy he is, they find he's not the kind of guy you want in your dressing room. He is trouble. He is uh, disliked by teammates. He is rude to staff. He is not anyone's favourite person at Borussia Dortmund. And they've struggled to get him out because anyone worth their salt who can make a phone call, has contacts, will find that out for themselves. Now, Wenger knows this also, but he is so desperate for goals because the Lacazette signing has not worked out as he hoped it would. Olivier Giroud has been intermittently injured and is not scoring goals. And in order to rescue his season, he needs someone to, to score goals. And Aubameyang is probably a, as big a gamble, but as good a bet out there in this winter to, to come in. So I think you're right, Henry, what you've said about spending um, trends changing. But I don't believe that the trend, if you like, will be consistent. I think it's due to circumstances in this particular window. Um, and I said, someone like Arsenal being desperate in the way they are because they've got a manager who's clearly, you know, crawling on his knees towards his retirement. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think there is more competition. I think we will see the, the January spend go up. But I think it is. There are artefacts in this January spend and, and they're quite easy to identify. I suppose if you look at it, Liverpool would have signed Virgil van Dijk in the summer if they hadn't messed up by tapping up the player and having to wait until January. Um, Coutinho would have gone to Barcelona in the summer if uh, they'd been able to sign Lamar from Monaco then, which they had close to being done. Arsenal then messed that deal up because they were prepared to sell Sanchez to Man City, but they wanted a replacement and they decided to go in for Lamar and spend more money. So, and, and you would also have seen Sanchez go in the summer. So all three of those big deals could have happened in the summer um, rather than now. And obviously when they happen now, the money's available for the, 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 the selling club to spend again. So you, you get that some of the summer spend pushed into January. On, on um, Obama Yang, I think there's one thing that, that I, I don't know whether it's actually being driven by this or not, but certainly something to pay attention to is that if they take Mkhitaryan and Obama Yang, they're re- reuniting a combination that was very productive at Borussia Dortmund. And who have um, Arsenal just signed as their um, head of recruitment? Um, the former Borussia Dortmund scout, Sven Mislintat. So I just wonder um, whether a chunk of what's happening with uh, the Obama Young deal is being driven by Mislintat rather than by Wenger. Um, and as we've discussed in the podcast before, the sort of change of uh, director of football, the, the change of head negotiator, the change of a uh, performance director at Arsenal, all of these appointments being made around Wenger are preparation for Wenger's um, retirement or departure from Arsenal and the appointment of a new coach. And I think I think we might be seeing some of that in the recruitment that's happening now as well. But if we they, um, sorry, I was just going to say, if, you know, if you're saying that they might be shipping in trouble with Aubameyang into the uh, dressing room, what, what kind of guy are they uh, bringing in with Mkhitaryan, Duncan? Bringing in a, a very unpredictable character, um, uh, you know, the reason he's failed at Manchester United is because his character has clashed with that of Jose Mourinho. Mourinho talks about he's, he 
he's been asked in interviews what his greatest weakness as a coach is and said it's dealing with mentally uh, weak players. And I think with, with Mkhitaryan, you've got someone who he finds um, sketchy uh, and unpredictable in personality and character and, more importantly, completely brilliant on the training ground and brilliant in a game one day. And then he puts him out on the pitch uh, for the next game, expecting a performance of similar level, and he drops off the chart. And that, in Mourinho's management and the way he runs teams, is, is something he finds very, very difficult to handle. So um, Arsenal will be taking a risk with that, but at least in Mislintat, they've got a guy who should know what he, his uh, character is and, and was working at the club that got the best performances of his career so far out of him. So um, perhaps Mislintat has the answer to that. And and can and you know there will be less pressure on Mkhitaryan at Arsenal because he will be surrounded by players who are not as good as uh, as some of the players at Manchester United are. So he he will come in as a as a starter um, as a as a player who's expected to drive the team and and perhaps his performance will be better because of that. It's good to say, Henry, that we shouldn't um, disregard the major spend by Everton in this window already in uh, purchasing Theo Walcott for £20 million and Sheikh Tucson for £27 million. £47 million for in any transfer windows is a pretty big investment. Uh, obviously made uh, more of, of than that in the summer window under Ronald Koeman, but with um, supersized Sam in charge and he's got a bit of momentum as well, clearly there is a will to um, to invest and, uh, and to try and get Everton even further up the table. So um, when we used to talk about the top six. Everton were certainly a member. And um, it seems that in Farad Moshri they have a, a someone who owns the club who is willing to put the, the money there to try and get them back up where they used to be. So um, you credit to them for, for giving you know making the checkbook available for, for Sam Allardyce. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how those players fit in um, at Goodson Park and how much Everton can improve over the rest of the season. Yeah, um Walcott obviously moving from Benger to uh, to Allardyce. Some might see that as a, a culture clash, and uh, that doesn't necessarily mean a negative for Walcott. Is can we see Walcott thriving in a Sam Allardyce team? I think it's interesting that Allardyce has has used Aaron Lennon a lot um, since he's been there, and obviously Lennon and, and Walcott are very similar style of player. They they like to play on the touchline. They like to come inside. Um, they they look to create chances to assist goals, score goals themselves. So, um, uh, I, I, in terms of Allardyce's, let's just say perceived style of play, um, I'm not sure that that's the case of what he'll do at Everton because he's also got Wayne Rooney playing in midfield, and obviously that that's a case of you you defer possession to Rooney, who then plays through the middle third to the final third, uh, and yeah, let let's see. As I said, it'll be interesting to see how that goes for them because. There's no doubt that Theo Walcott has for some time needed uh, a fresh start. Uh, he's definitely, he's Arsenal's um, only um, uh, Robin van Persie, I think, scored more goals in the time that Walcott's been at Arsenal than, than, than he's scored, 109 or 115. Um, okay, over 12 years, but still a decent return for someone who didn't play as a central striker. Uh, and I think that Walcott is you know desperate to have that fresh challenge uh, and become... Uh, the player that that we know he can be uh, once again. Um, so yeah, I'm we should, we should also say you know very, very skillful players have thrived under Allardyce in the past. I mean, Allardyce's reputation I often think is a bit unjust, really, because you know if you think in the Bolton team that he made you know his managerial name with Jorkev, JJ Akotcha, you know there were some fantastic footballers in that I team. Agree, totally um, agree. And he, and he, lo- he loves creative mavericks as well. That's the thing you'll give a chance to a maverick. Now, Walcott, I wouldn't put in the maverick sort of uh, status, but if you if you give him freedom to play, he can definitely affect games, and that's obviously what he's been bought for. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 I said we would applaud um, Everton for for making the investment. Uh, they had a very difficult start to the season. They've obviously hoisted themselves into a relatively safe position, but not safe yet. Um, but uh, clearly, the ambition is to go beyond that, um, and. Investing the money is, is definitely is, is going to be foundation of that as well. 
Okay, and what so about it's, they? It's, the, oh, just on Walcott, it's a substantial investment that, that, that Everton have made there, not just in transfer fee and the wages, because he's a, he's a well-paid English player and he wouldn't have taken a pay cut to go to Everton. He's a very good professional. Um, as a technician, not absolute top, but I think where you see why he fits into Sam Allardyce's team is that Walcott's strength is running into space. It's his pace and, and bursting beyond the defence. And you know, Allardyce likes to set up against a lot of opponents to sit very deep and play balls over the top and let his, um, let his forwards run onto them. And, and Walcott's ideal, ideally suited to that game. So um, you can see that transfer making a lot of sense for both parties in that it gets Walcott on the pitch and gets him playing in a system that's probably better suited to his strengths than Arsenal. And it gives um, Allardyce a guy who can score goals, which he badly needs. OK, um, I, I was just trying to move to the other side of, of Liverpool um, and uh, Liverpool FC, obviously. And, uh, you know, the, we spoke about the Coutinho move depending on uh, Liverpool fixing up a replacement. But that, that script seems to have changed a little bit as well. Um, obviously, since the, the last Transfer Window podcast, Liverpool have actually uh, beaten uh, league leaders Manchester City. So I'm not sure even if that has an influence on how they are now approaching this January window. What one, can you tell us about that? One thing you can be sure of, Henry, is that um, the people at FSG and certainly the representatives at FSG on the Liverpool board will have looked at the performance against Manchester City last uh, weekend and then said to Jurgen Klopp, why do you need someone to replace him? <laughs> Haven't we already got uh, the players here who can dismantle the team who've been un unbeaten uh, so far uh, this season and who've laid waste to everyone before them? Why do we have to bring in an expensive replacement for Coutinho when we have this talent at our disposal? Because that's the way FSG work. They do work on a very much you know performance-based um, and then look at the financial strategy compared to the performances and decide on that. So... I still, I said it last week on the transfer window, I still believe <clears throat> that there will be an agreement with RB Leipzig to bring Naby Keita to uh, Anfield before the end of this window, uh, which what they're arguing over is how much more money that's going to cost. Duncan rightly pointed out that, um, that this is becoming a very expensive transfer for Liverpool because the money they've agreed to pay already is in excess of £60 million. However, with the continual money in the bank, Van Dijk and central defence... Uh, paying an extra 15, 20 million euros to get Keita in for the second half of the season as they push for top four um, and also get him um, used to the environment of Liverpool, used to his teammates for uh, the start of next season would be, again, 15, 20 million euros would be a small amount of money to pay for that. So I wouldn't say that Liverpool's transfer business has concluded just yet, albeit that it would be uh, Keita who they'll invest the money in for an early rival rather than a player outside of that. Yeah, look, I think we, we, we broke on the transfer window a few weeks ago that they had an agreement with Thomas Lamar to come if they sold Coutinho. They did um, talk to Monaco about making that deal happen. Monaco are asking for over €100 million Euros as a transfer fee for Lamar now, which is an increase on what they agreed with Arsenal uh, in the summer when Arsenal uh, gazumped Liverpool for that deal. Um, Liverpool are saying that they will not pay that amount now. At the point at which they said they would not pay that amount, they tried to go back to get Keita um, in early, which obviously has PR value for them um, post-Coutinho deal. And, and I think a lot of this is about PR. So you sell Coutinho having said you won't sell him in the summer, then you want to bring another player in so it doesn't look like the Coutinho money's gone towards Van Dijk. Um, they made... Uh, an offer to Leipzig to bring the player. Uh, in the past week, I discovered that if Leipzig qualify for Champions League um, this year, the transfer fee on Keita goes up even more uh, over the sum that Liverpool agreed, which was an, a, a, on top of the release clause. They paid a premium. They pay an additional amount if, if Leipzig stay in the Champions League. And they were negotiating. Leipzig were asking for another 20 million to do it, which would 
if Leipzig stay in the Champions League, would take the deal over €90 million, Euros, which is incredible for a defensive midfielder. Leipzig this week stated that he will not leave, um, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean um, the end of negotiations. Liverpool might come back and uh, make another offer. We saw Liverpool stating that a player wouldn't leave and then they still they continue negotiations for Coutinho with Barcelona in the summer. So maybe that's not entirely dead. <coughs> Where Liverpool say is that they won't go above, they won't go to 100 million for Lamar and they are looking at other candidates for that position. Um, if they leave it to the summer for Lamar, they, they put that deal in danger because other clubs could come in. One of the players they're definitely looking at um, to fill that position is Christian Pulisic from Borussia Dortmund, uh, about the same age, similar skill set, um, but the additional attraction of being American um, and Fenway Sports Group have been trying to get an American uh, footballer into the Liverpool squad since they took over the club and they might finally have found one who has the abilities to be a proper Premier League player. Um, whether they're able to get him ahead of other rivals because there is a lot of interest in Pulisic's signature is another matter. But that kind of gives you an idea of where Liverpool are looking to redirect cash at the moment. And, and, and I think Ian's right. I think um, the performances on the field with that PR, PR perspective in mind um, don't help Klopp in terms of getting players in now because FSG can say, well, we beat Man City. Um, the fans are happy with that. We can Maybe we can get away with just leaving out Van Dyke for this window and we can save the money for the next window. And as well, Henry, I'd, I'd like to just make a point at this moment in the in uh, time for our wonderful listeners who, above our individual ramblings, um, whether they make sense to you or not, I'm pretty sure everyone's getting an overall view that in this window and beyond, um, the transfer processes in European football and beyond are very much interlinked, i.e. when a player becomes available, all the big clubs have an interest. There's a catalyst effect when one player goes somewhere and another one becomes available. And hence, when you hear us talk about um, people like Thomas Lamar, like Alexis Sanchez, uh, <clears throat> for, and we're in, in terms of different clubs um, and, and different deals being done there for being the catalyst, uh, for another deal being done, then you get a the much bigger view of this being something, an industry, if you like, which is very much interconnected um, and and depends on one thing happening to make another thing happen. Uh, and that makes the whole thing much more sort of intriguing. Uh, it's like a web, if you like, rather than uh, a straightforward um, industry where transactions take place from one place to another. Okay. Um just uh, you know, we're we're beginning to run out of time, so just briefly, uh, any insight on Chelsea, Andy Carroll? What's happening there? Well, I've heard that um, in making um, an inquiry about Andy Carroll, they've also asked Tony Cascarino if he might be available to come back and play for them. Uh, certainly, Cascarino's probably got more um, mobility than Andy Carroll, uh, so I think this is being serious now. One of the most bizarre stories of any transfer window because it does not appear to suit the way that Antonio Conte plays. Morata is a tall physical striker, yes, but he's got two good feet. Carroll has been um, injured for almost you know, the last two years. He's played very few games. He's injured at the moment uh, and not appearing for, for West Ham. If, unless Conte's decided he's going to play just from back to front for the rest of the season, I don't see how this makes any sense whatsoever um, because... Carroll doesn't fit into Chelsea. And, and, and again, look at his age, look at his injury record, look at how much money you'd have to both spend to buy him and then wages on top of that. And none of it makes any sense. It's just weird. I, I think um, it's, it, we've seen with Conte, he's wanted to have uh, a big physical striker as a backup to um, Diego Costa and now Morata. Um, in all the windows he's gone through at Chelsea, and has been, you know, he tried very hard to get Fernando Llorente in last year and in the summer. Um, and I think it, it's it's essentially that process. Um, Chelsea are looking at options to to fit the bill 
of that big striker who isn't particularly expensive for them to bring in. I think with, with Carroll, they initially looked at trying to get him on loan and, and West Ham quite sensibly have seen that Chelsea are interested and said, oh, we'll sell him to you. Um, let's get him off the books if we've got a chance of someone someone who, who would take him. Um, but just going back to the sort of PR perspective of, of, of what FSG have been doing in the market over over the last two windows, I think it's it's a more and more important factor in football these days. As as fans, as the media has become more focused on the transfer market, which is it's there is more focus on that than ever before. You, know, you can talk about whether that's a, a result of online media. Um, you know, Henry, you're probably a good person to talk about the, why um, things have changed in that direction, but. Clubs now realise that they have to sell what they're doing in the market to the fans. And, you know, since we're talking about Chelsea, you can look at the Alexandro deal in the summer. As far as Juventus were concerned, Chelsea never got close to making that deal happen. But we had weeks and weeks of he is Chelsea's uh, principal target and they're prepared to go to a club record, world record fee for a defender to sign him. At the Juventus end, it was, no, if he's going anywhere, he's going to Manchester City. And I think we've, we've seen a bit of that with Alexis Sanchez this week. So there was a, there was a, a time after the Manchester United um, approach came in that we're seeing, oh, Chelsea have got involved in that deal. And I can't tell you for sure, but I suspect Chelsea were quite happy to be associated with that um, transfer because it made it look like we're trying to get a player who our manager has said in press conferences he would like to have. When Conte's asked about it specifically in a press conference, he says, no, I don't see that one happening. Great player, but I don't see it happening. And then suddenly we have, um, you know, the, uh, the reason on the back pages today why Chelsea and Manchester City didn't sign him is because supposedly he's going to get £500,000 a week. Um, join the dots. Where did that story come from? Ian, can you join the dots for us? Oh, sorry, Henry, I thought you were joining there. I was sure through your pen, horribly scribbling around. No, clearly, yeah, that's come from Chelsea, hasn't it? Okay, um, let's uh, let's finish off with the uh, as usual with a with a quick fire. Um, thought we could uh, just go through some of the players. Um, I've, I've jotted some down here while while you were talking, um, and it's uh, you know, do you want player A or player B? I think this is probably in your. You know, if you're building your squad from scratch, um, ready to challenge next season, uh, you sign sign one or t'other. Who would you prefer? So, um, Duncan, I think we'll start with you. Are we are we good to go? We've got, we we've got our heads around what we're doing here. Yes. Yeah. Okay, Duncan, Henrik Mkhitaryan or Christian Pulisic? Uh, I would take. Pulisic just, um, but I wouldn't take him as the, the central point of my squad because he's definitely going to take time to develop as a Premier League player. But I think he's, uh, he has the potential to be a better talent than Mkhitaryan. Okay, Ian, Philip Coutinho or Alexis Sanchez? Mm. Uh, I'd go with Coutinho. Better all-round player, uh, gets goals, makes, makes goals for fun and younger. Okay, Duncan, Thomas Lamar from Monaco or Malcolm at Bordeaux? Uh, for the Premier League, I'd probably take Malcolm um, because he's a more uh, vertical, um, faster player and scores a lot of goals for distance. Um, Lamar's a great technician and uh, yeah, you'd want to have both in the team. But given the prices of the two and given that Malcolm's probably €40 million Euros less than... Lamar in the current market, I'd go for the Brazilian. Okay, Ian, Naby Keita at uh, Leipzig or Fred at Shakhtar Donetsk? Um, slightly difficult one because Fred has been playing in a in a less quality league than, than Keita is in the Bundesliga. Uh, Fred's more creative. He can play 6, 8 and 10, so he can play proper box-to-box on that basis uh, I think his adaptability would would make me take Fred over uh, Keita Okay Duncan Yeah Emmerich Obama Young against Alexandra Lacazette <laughs> The choice that Arsene Wenger will have to make in the next uh, few weeks if he gets the Obama Young deal through 
Um, for the reasons Ian mentioned earlier, I'd take Lacazette, um, but I'd rather have a different striker altogether if I had that kind of budget to spend on one. Ian, what about Johnny Evans or Virgil van Dijk? The difference in the two uh, is, for me, it's just the age. I think they're both very good all-round defenders. Both can play the ball out from the back. At this moment in time, if I was building a squad for for the future, Henry, it would be Van Dijk. But if I was looking to plug a gap in my defence, which is what um, Pep Guardiola is doing and why he's pursuing Johnny Evans, I would take Evans. Okay, one more H. Duncan, Andy Carroll or Olivier Giroud? <laughs> I wouldn't touch... Uh... Touch Andy Carroll with the barge pole of the same height that he is. Um, Olivia Giroud, I just wonder whether Olivia Giroud comes onto that list of strikers that Chelsea look at because he's in that, um, he's got the same characteristics, tall, uh, physically strong. He turned down a move to Everton in the summer because he wanted to stay in London. He's uh, going to be very much down the pecking order at Arsenal if they get Obama Young in as well. So of those two, I'd take Giroud. Okay, Ian, last one. Celtic striker, Moussa Dembele, or former Celtic striker, Tony Cascarino. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Frank McAvenny. I'd make Mac all day long with that one. <laughs> I think we can list several Celtic strikers we take before, but anyway. But yeah, I would definitely take Moussa Dembele over Tony Cascarino. Um, I, think, I think that's fair. That's a fair one. Yeah. Okay, uh, excellent as always, gents. That's us. Uh, we are over halfway through the January window and uh, quite a January window it is proving to be. Um, we'll be back next week to uh, give you views, insights and analysis on uh, the latest events and hopefully some news on what is going to happen next. Uh, thanks for joining us as always. Thank you to Ian, thank you to Duncan and we'll see you soon. Toodaloo the new.